Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the PGP, everybody. The show about the show. The show within the show. The Permission Granted Podcast, which does have its own PGP feed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and radio.com. So if you'd like to subscribe to the PGP, apart from the normal DA show podcast feed, you can do so, or you can find this on the DA show podcast feed. We encourage you, if you subscribe to the podcast to rate and review it as well, that will help other people find it easier. So this week, little giants is our topic of the sports movie mothership at the movie segment which is a film about a peewee football game. There are two brothers who have been rivals since they were very young. They are Kevin O'Shea and Danny O'Shea. Now, Kevin O'Shea is the older, more athletic one, and Danny O'Shea is the younger one. The older one, as an adult, is played by Ed O'Neill, who was Al Bundy married with children, also had a star turn with the series Modern Family, And then Rick Moranis played the younger brother, Danny O'Shea. And Kevin O'Shea goes on to great athletic exploits. He ends up going to win the Heisman Trophy. He comes back to their little town in Ohio. He owns a car dealership. I think he might own a restaurant as well, it appears. And he's kind of a celebrity around town. He wants to coach the Pee Wee football team. But there's enough cast-offs that also want to play football that Kevin O'Shea didn't allow on this team, the Cowboys, the Urbania Cowboys. And so though that ragtag misfit band of football players is coached by Rick Moran's the younger brother. And only one Little League team or Pee Wee team can represent Urbania Champaign or Urbania rather, Ohio. So they end up having to play a one-game playoff for all the marbles who gets to be the Pee Wee football team. And that ends up in the big game that culminates this this film. 
Now, Mraz, I know this is a personal favorite of yours. I found it good, but less great as a Days of Thunder, League of Their Own, etc. Sandlot, and oh, more sure. cute. It's a cute kids film, but it's enjoyable. I and agree it's, with that. It's actually very funny. And the one thing that kept sticking out to me was how much farting there is in this. It is such a it's such a core dynamic in this film. And what's the name of the fat kid in this? Zoltek. Zoltek. He he has a devastating farting problem. And we are introduced to this on the football field early, okay? When they have like a practice and he farts and nobody wants to be around him at the line of scrimmage. Then he does so in the automotive barn where they hang out. This is kind of like their clubhouse. And it's so bad that kids that enter the barn door at least 20 feet away smell it immediately. And then it's a core component in a trick play against the Cowboys. We also have one of the players saying that I believe he's going to hit him so hard he'll be farting out of his mouth and speaking out of his butt. And then he does get hit so hard that he begins speaking out of his butt. There's a lot of fart and butt humor in this. And it made me wonder if you love this movie because it centers around farts and butts. Well, look, there's no doubt I appreciate fart and butt humor. There's no doubt about it. It's part of the reason I loved Ed because the chimpanzee, there was a lot of fart and bathroom humor in that as well. Uh, I I do kind of dislike that they portrayed the big husky kid as the farter because you know this has been a long-standing fight I've had, uh, and that is the message everybody farts and not just the fat guys that are involved here. But look, Zoltek farting and being the fat loving kid, yeah, something I relate to. I mean, I could distinctly remember that somebody at one of my baseball tryouts for tournament team called me Zoltek because I was in the dugout before at bats eating Reese's Pieces just as he was when he dumps the bag of Reese's Pieces out Mm -hmm. after he gets cut from the team. He's hiding uh, Cheetos, as Kevin O'Shea said. They were puffy, not crunchy, so he's a wimp. There's a lot of food that leads, a lot of junk food that leads to a lot of gas, including, by the way, his own coach, Danny O'Shea, at their intros at the house, introducing him as the gas man, and his own father not understanding why he is called the gas man. So they've really set the foundation there for Zoltek. I know it's a kid's movie, but I was a little surprised at how much they center on farts. Do you think that 25 years later, you could have a kid's movie that has one of the main characters that it's so central to his character that it leads to big plays in a football game being the farter? I think so because I think when it comes to being a kid, I think farts are supposed to be funny as a kid. I think it's when you get older that you're supposed to not be like me and continue to laugh at them. I think that's the the message there. So I think as long as it's a kid ripping you-know-what as they snap a ball and setting up plays that way, I think it's okay. I mean, my my daughter blows the fart noise at me because she hears me do it all day long. She just walks, you know, and doesn't walk up. She sits in and just goes... So for kids, that's supposed to be funny. They love making that noise, and they love it really happening. So I think you could still today have a, a movie if it centers around kids doing that. I don't think you could have a movie with, like, a real shortstop of the majors just passing gas, and that's how he gets on base every time. Okay. 
My next character study is on Rad Tad. Now, Tad Simpson. <laughs> character study. <laughs> A football life, Rad Tad. <laughs> Rad Tad is delivered to this team by his mother who wants him to play some type of contact sport like football because he's always hurt, he's always sick, he's such a weakling. He shows up at the the the, the field. He's got this giant bowl haircut, Coke bottle glasses, pencil necked, he's tiny, and he's blowing a snot bubble. And his mom's like, he's always sick, he's always hurt, he needs to play football to toughen him up. But in reality, she's also caused this problem by being overly protective and that his whole family is is also prone to to getting sick. But Rad Tad ends up being one of the heroes of the film because he helps keep the spirits high of the team. He also well, is I can I just can I just interrupt for one second? Sure. This is actually the kid you're talking about, the snuffle was actually Jake. Rad Tad is the other nerdy kid that scores the first touchdown. Oh, he's running backwards a bunch. There's two nerdy kids. The snot bubble kid that was in the incubator for six months of his life with the wife. His name is Jake. Oh, okay, okay. So sorry. About Both that. nerds. <laughs> Both nerds. But yes, similar characters. This is Jake you're referencing. Okay, so who scores the game-winning touchdown? Jake does. Both score a touchdown in the game. Jake scores the winner. And. Rad, Tad, okay, so Jake is the snot bubble. He scores the game-winning touchdown? Yes, Rad Tad is one of the friends that's always around, that was always in there. He's the one upset at the beginning with Zoltek when Zoltek rips the fart and the whole get. He's another nerdy kid. They give him his jersey. He's the first one to get the jersey. He scores their very first touchdown to start gotcha. that second half. Gotcha, okay. There's a, a little bit of a difference, but you're so talking if, about Jake. So, And then who's the nerd that draws up the annexation of Puerto Rico? That I I still don't. Let me. I can find the IMDb. I always thought that was Minkus from uh, Boy Meets World. Yeah, it looks like Minkus a lot. It does look like (laughs) Minkus, and and for some reason, even when they're at a car wash, this kid's wearing a tie, which I didn't understand. Could somebody get him a different outfit? I don't really know. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to look that one up and find okay. if. if Okay. So between Rad Tad and Jake, the sick kid, who do you think went on? to a bigger career in football no 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 in acting say, in, a, in acting in acting uh i i only know this because i just saw this but jake was in scrubs so i'm gonna go since scrubs was a big time show i'll say that he became the better actor well you're right because you know it was a tie going to the runner at the point in 1994 little giants Jake goes on to do lots of movies. He is in Little Giants 94. He's on Seinfeld for a couple of episodes in 96 as a kid named oh, Joey. I remember that Kramer has to watch him and then switch. Yes, to yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's on That's So Raven. He ends up doing Veronica Mars. He's on The OC. He does Bones. He's on Scrubs for a couple of seasons. He did Weeds, iCarly, and something called Game Shakers. So he's had a career. And yet Rad Tad ends up doing essentially nothing with his career. Danny Pritchett is his name. 
He's in this film. He does Jingle All the Way as a, ki- as a kid in the Turbo Man commercial, and that's it. It's over. His career is done by 96. So at Little Giants, they still both had burgeoning acting careers, but Jake the Sick Kid goes on to great heights. That's unbelievable. And you would think that that movie really was so perfect for all those kids to go find niches because they were all really good, and I think for kid actors in it. Uh, and, and D.A., I, I don't want to take, take away your character deep dive. Also to note, like, people's careers went nowhere. You would think Hot Hands Hanen yes. had this unbelievable acting career. And I only noticed I looked this up yesterday because I was curious about him because that was my favorite character in the movie. He only later becomes a rapper known as Hot Hands. Doesn't really? become an actor in anything. He he's a rapper, and his name is Hot Hands in the rap. So he leans on that little giant's role very much. That's what he is as an adult. I don't his think na- a big time rapper, but he's out there. His name is Troy Simmons, and as Hot Hands Hanan, he's got charisma. He delivers his his lines really well. He's got a really He's got an identifiable voice. It's almost raspy, right. even when he's yeah. only like 11 years a- old. A- a- Michael Irvin. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Well, I have to ask you about the cameos of the NFL superstars in this. The Madden Cruiser, happenstance, pulls up to a Little Giants practice, and thankfully they, or maybe they, I guess they're getting gas at the gas station when all the little giants are in that gas station barn. It was, yeah, it was right after the fight where the team yeah. gets in a fight. It's actually Rad Tad that's walking out and has had enough. And he runs into John Madden coming up, who drawn up how he wants to get to Canton. Exactly. So John Madden's trying to get to Canton and they're outside of Columbus, Ohio. So they end up, I guess, showing him how to get to Canton. But on the bus is Bruce Smith who teaches them about the art of intimidation. There is Emmett Smith on this bus as well. Tim Brown, and then a white guy I didn't recognize. Who Me is either. that? Do we know who that player is? I could look back up, but I kept saying that the whole time because I actually wrote down the three guys. I'm like, I have no idea who that was. And he was teaching them a lot about line play and everything else. Let me see. Football, NFL players and Little Giants. Let me find that. But, yes, that's a good point. And how about a random Tim Brown in 94 too, huh? You would think well, Jerry Rice said no. Oh, Steve Emp. Oh, Steve Emptman. Okay, so he was the number one pick in the draft by the Indianapolis Colts, but he ends up being a huge bust because he's always injured. Okay, all right, that's who that was. Okay, so Steve Emptman. So my question was, I don't think Tim Brown had a line in it. I think they introduced him as Tim Brown, but I don't think he actually had a speaking line in it. I wonder if they cut it out because there is a point in time where it might be Emmett or Bruce Smith is is talking to the team, and in the background, I specifically saw this, Tim Brown is teaching the other players who aren't listening to whatever speech is going on how to climb the monkey bars. And you could see Tim Brown in the back doing the monkey bars with a couple of the other nerdy kids. So I wonder if maybe huh. just whatever monkey bar scene they had him lining up filming at the same time just didn't quite cut it for everybody involved with Little Giants. It's amazing that they casted Steve Entman in this because he was a bust right off the bat, and... Because Steve Entman, it's almost like Christian Leitner making the dream team. It's like, in retrospect, did you really need the token white guy that might have been a good college player but wasn't really up to the Bruce Smith, Emmett Smith, Bruce Smith, Emmett, and Tim Brown standards? Probably not. That The movie's actually better if Tim Brown coaches them instead of Steve Entman there. 
Yeah, I would agree with that if Tim Brown's involved. And, you know, Tim Brown is a semi-frequent guest on the DA show. We usually Definitely. Usually about twice, twice a year or so. I think we have to remember this. The next time Tim Brown is on, we have to talk to him about Little Giants Definitely. and uh, what went into it. And I'm sure he has an opinion on the coaching style of Kevin O'Shea as well and what went wrong with Little Giants. I think that would be the perfect way. Just like we talked to John Sally about Whoopi Goldberg and Eddie, I think talking to Tim Brown about what went wrong between the O'Shea brothers would be huge for us. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, my final point on this film is, is about the young player, Johnny. Johnny wants to play football. He's like a little Italian kid, Johnny Venaro. And he ends up being very scared to touch the football, doesn't really want to get in. He's very scared about everything. But he clearly wants to be part of the team because his dad's not even around to bring him to practice. And Danny O'Shea, played by Rick Moranis, is kind of like, hey, where's your dad? And there's this very quiet, kind of unspoken, my dad's not around. I don't know about you, but I thought that Johnny's dad was dead or totally out of the picture. And then at the end of the film, during the championship game, Johnny's dad comes running with a briefcase and a tie and a, and a three-piece suit to come watch him in the end zone. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm so glad Johnny's dad wasn't around because he was just at work all the time, not because he was dead or divorced. Well, D.A., a couple things either happen. Either you had to clean Rosie's kitty litter box, or maybe you're just digging into your own Reese's Pieces. Maybe you're heating up popcorn because Johnny's dad appeared in the movie earlier when the kids are putting together the team. They're walking around the neighborhood, and they get to Johnny's house. Johnny's dad is on the phone not paying attention to him. He's leaving for work, and Johnny comes racing out of the house and goes, Dad, Dad, and the father won't even pay attention to him because he's trying to get to work. And then Johnny sits all sad on the stoop just as Icebox and the crew starts walking down the block going, Hey, kid. You want to play some football? And he's so just bummed out that his dad's gone. He's looking for a little companionship. And that's how he joins the football team because his father blew him off of the front lawn. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So it's a little bit like Sandlot where where we have a dad who's just totally distant from his child's sports endeavors because he's got work all the time. Right. Yes, exactly. So my final point on the film is this. We, We know that. The dynamic between father-daughter here, and that is Danny O'Shea and Icebox, is a very important one because Danny O'Shea only gets into this role as a head coach because Icebox's daughter really wants to play football, and as a girl, she's not invited to play for the Cowboys. So he's got to start this team, and by the end of it, there's a there's a difference that they can't get past that She's kind of wants to be more of a girly girl. He's always treated her as a as a tomboy. And so she resents it. She doesn't want to play football anymore. And he has to realize he didn't do a great job as a father because he didn't treat her enough as a girl. And this is because his wife left. And they allude to this. They reference this many times. Mom left. Mom did this. Mom, mom decided not to be around. We don't know why mom decided not to be around. But did you also register this, that so many sports films that involve children revolve around the divorced parents, that somebody left, that somebody's just up and left. There's never like, it's the, it's the child of divorce and I get to see mommy on the weekends or I get to see daddy on the weekends. It's no, either mom up and left or dad just up and left. We don't see them anymore. We are left to pick up the rubble. It's a and great fi- point. 
it I always is and then there's always like another stepfather or step parent involved too that it's screwing everything yeah up. i mean and, and that is the case in the sandlot where it's you know he's a child of divorce and he's got a rookie kind of, of the year as well rookie of the year is a child of divorce that's exactly right dad just up and left in that one and it strikes me you know i grew up with two parents in my house and i'm very fortunate for that it strikes me that being the child of divorce must be such a traumatic thing as a young person that all of these sports films revolve around it and that it's like sports and friends and your relationship with the one parent and the one that left or whatever is completely like everything in your life. And that I, I guess sports films are supposed to maybe be that band-aid but man, it really makes me feel for the children to divorce because it's such a central part of so many of these sports films. It it is. It's funny. I hadn't thought about that, but now that I'm you know ripping off the top of my head, I know little big league is like that. Angels in the outfield. The kid comes from foster care. Yeah, it's like almost all of these movies. Yeah, it, it revolves around single parent households, step parents, everything, and they're always. You know, the sad figure that turns to sports, that is that is sad. Way to, by the way, damp it down. I was so pumped up to keep talking about the O'Shea brothers, and now I'm thinking about it. That is a, that's very depressing and tough on all these kids. It's brutal. And we brought this up back when we had the, um, the Ed and Eddie era of Mothership at the Movies, where we were... <laughs> the era. Where we were... <laughs> the we two were, Eds. <laughs> my two Eds. We were marveling at that this all happened in 1996. Now, this film was 1994, but we were unbelievably struck by how many sports movies, iconic sports movies, came out of the 90s. Could you just rip off the the movies that involved divorcees, the sports movies that you mentioned? Uh, Rookie of the Year. Okay, that was I 93. Little, little Big League does, which is around the same time as Rookie of the Year. That's 93 as well. Angels in the Outfield is about a foster kid, so that comes out sometime in the 90s. That's like mid-90s, 95 or something. So obviously we mentioned Little Giants. Little um, Giants is 94. One we didn't even mention that we did Ladybugs. Remember, Roddy Dangerfield's a stepdad trying to get right. close to the kid. So that's, that's 96, I think. Um, Mighty Ducks, Charlie Conway, only child with the mom. Remember, because he wants the mom with the love interest. Right, with, uh, right. That's Emilio 92. Estevez as well. So, and I think I'm forgetting one more that we did recently we just talked about. Rookie of the Year. What was the other baseball movie? Oh, Sandlot. Sandlot where the, wow, that's, the main kids. Yeah, right in there as well. This is all like a six-year period, 92 to 97 or so. All of these films are coming out. Divorce, what must have been a huge thing. I think maybe it's more normalized now. Maybe back then it was a little bit more of a... Uh, of a unique experience, but could have been. Yeah, think about that. The '90s sports films, so many are centered around children of divorce. That is that is a crazy nugget. That's why we're here from Mothership the movies. You dig deep and you realize some of these things. And I guess that's the exercise you go through. It's sad. It's traumatic. But you know, it's it really does stink. And obviously, I'm very fortunate, like you, to have both parents and lived in those in those households. My wife is not. My wife is a child of divorce, but. You know, looking back, you know, knowing now, this day and age, any of my friends that I know with, with children of divorce, I don't remember them really having the hardships that are portrayed in this movie. But maybe at the time you just don't realize as a kid when your friends are going through something like that, how, you know, deeply terrible that could really be. But, 
man, yeah, these these directors and actors really wanted to harp on that. It was like, all right, I got a great idea for a kid's sports film. All right, who's divorced? The father, yeah. the mother, who's living with the kids? Yeah. And that's need, the way they went about it. You need some type of hurdle or emotional baggage for the child to get over. So I guess that's the easiest one to just beg that the, that the kids don't have a stable household at home. So I don't know how close you are to those friends that are children of divorce, but I would encourage you at some point this summer to ask them if these sports movies were relatable to them. Like, did it right. work? Yeah, I'm actually going to do that now. Yeah, there's a couple of them in, that I know alone in my, my friend's group chat. Just, hey, not to get too personal and take <laughs> deep in your life, but just here's a list of movies. We, ne- we picked up on this on the show. Were these relatable to you? And see what the answer is. And if so, which film depicted... Mom and dad splitting up best, right? which was most accurate. Right. And who was the closest to your next step parent that came in? Was it Rodney Dangerfield? Was it the guy from Rookie of the Year? Where was it? <laughs> okay. So that's side A. I heard that uh, you've already done side B with one Connor Green. Connor Green, the mean machine that is Connor Green. We get his thoughts on the Bilotti versus Bogus text message argument oh. coming up. Oh. Plus, we're now... Four months into working from home, DA, and the one person outside of the one show I popped in for that's been around Pete Bellotti the most has been Connor Green. So I wanted to press <laughs> Connor a little bit on Pete's angst, the most angry he's seen Pete at any of us. I ask him about while we've been working from home. Oh, this and is the good. idea is Pete really doing that much extra work like he portrays? So I really get a little man on the street from Connor Green on oh, what's been going good. on with Pete back at the office. That's this what's is coming really up good. Okay, this is excellent. All right, stick around. Here comes side B. All right, welcome into Side B of the PGP. This is Mraz, host of Side B, not joined by the bogeyman Andrew Bogus this week, who is going to be basically coming and going between vacations. So a diaper D alien steps up. His name is Connor Green. Connor, hello. What is going on, Mraz? How are you? Good. So we did a lot of Little Giants breakdown on Side A of the PGP, but I wanted to get into more of the behind-the-scenes of the DA show on side B. First and foremost, Connor, I don't know if you had followed any of Tuesday's drama on the show, but Andrew Bogish, while on vacation, had major issue with Pete the Body Bilotti, who we know well for all his scheduling problems, becoming the master of scheduling and being so ahead of it. So Pete the Body obviously sends Bogish a text while on vacation about 5.15 a.m. looking uh, to give him some scheduling updates. Where do you stand on a 515 text from Pete the Body and Bogus's anger if you had to be the judge, jury, executioner of said argument? Well, I can see where Bilotti's coming from because you don't want to wait necessarily because then what might end up happening is you just forget to ask whatever it is you're asking or answer what you want to answer. So I can see why Pete sent it that early. I personally probably just would have waited until probably after the show, especially since he's on vacation. But I myself have actually gotten uh, one of those texts from Pete. The difference is I'm a really heavy sleeper, so it wouldn't wake me up. I think he texted me, like, asking about uh, if I was going to be available the next day to fill in on a different show. And I'm a heavy sleeper, so it's not a big deal for me. But I guess if you're a light sleeper like Bogish and you're on vacation, I can see why he's angry. But I think Pete probably just didn't want to forget to reach out to him. I would have waited, but I can understand where they're both coming from. 
Okay, so you've spent a lot of time, uh, Connor Green, in the studio the last four months as an extra hand on the DA show, working with Pete, the body Bilotti. You guys have been kind of Batman and Robin there, while Bogish, myself, and DA have been working from home. So you've, I would say, gotten to know Pete more over the last four months than you probably previously knew him. So let me just start with this. I followed up later on Tuesday's show with asking Pete flat out, when he is off at the end of August and the roles are reversed and we ask him something at 5.15 in the morning, would he be agitated waking up to that text? Even if he wakes up to it at 8 and sees we text him at 5.15, he vows he would not be agitated. In your dealings with Pete and his agitation or lack thereof, do you think Pete is full of it or do you think he'd be agitated? I think Pete would probably be a little bit annoyed if one of you guys reached out to him at 5 a.m. I have to say, I think Pete would be just a little bit he might not be to the point where he would tweet at the show or maybe not to the point where he would go on the G chat and say something about it but I do think Pete would see it maybe he would sleep through it maybe he'd wake up if he woke up he'd be annoyed about the fact that he got the text because I think Pete when he's on vacation probably doesn't want to be bothered so I don't see him being like oh it's no big deal he would have been at least a little bit annoyed by it I think and that's the thing. Everything bothers Pete. You hear him on Trash <laughs> Tuesday. You can put your beach blanket too near him. It bothers him. Suddenly a text at 515 is not going to bother him. I find that hard to believe. And on that note, working with Pete for four months, look, things have obviously been stressful at times. Sometimes there's obviously errors, whether it be all these connections going on. Little blips have happened. Uh, whether Problems he's trying to tell go. us something. Right. You know, break time is not where Pete wants to be. What is, during this pandemic of being there in four months with Pete, the most angry during our show at one of us? It could be any of us. Myself, Bogus, DA, an incident. What is the most angry and or animated you have seen Pete at an incident? Come on, we need a little behind the scenes of fun Pete agitation here. All right, so I think the time he was most agitated is when you guys were debating who had what show responsibilities before the pandemic happened. So Pete says, and he vowed that he never was in charge of soundcheck, which I will say I don't ever really remember the board up being in charge of that. But I also hadn't really worked on the show all that much, uh, like in the months leading up to the pandemic. So I'm not sure if that changed at any point. But Pete, uh, Pete was so upset about the fact that he was looking like he was skirting a responsibility that he had. And he was adamant that he was never in charge of doing soundcheck. And he told me about that, and he asked me a question. Did you, did, do, do you remember a time where oh, the board no. up did sound check? And I said, I don't really remember doing sound check as the board up, but I don't remember if it changed at any point. So that's when I think Pete really had his worst day uh, during the four months of the pandemic. And I know that won't bother Pete because Pete would text me for three days over, and we finally came to an understanding that I admitted I was wrong. <laughs> And not only that, Connor, I don't know if you remember this, but Pete not only had a problem with me not only admitting I was wrong, but he was bothered by the fact that even though I said it in our G chat discussed on the show that it was not brought up on the show, he was so worried about perception mm-hmm. by the listeners. And I don't know if you're aware of this, too. There's a certain listener we have, and I will not feed into it because this person could listen to it, who really dislikes Pete for whatever <laughs> reason, that keeps bombarding him with, you know, this. you shouldn't say this one about this or this. And I tweeted back at this person one day because they said something nice, and Pete side-texted me and said, you shouldn't tweet at that person. I think they're a troll. They're trying to take down the show. But reality, mm-hmm. they're just trying to take down Pete. <laughs> right. So I could tell that little things like that, Pete has been very tense back there, and when I came into the studio last week to see him, Connor, 
I, I personally feel like I walked away thinking the big hoopla Pete's made about all this extra work has been a little overblown. Do you feel like Pete is being overworked, or do you think there are times where he over-exaggerates the amount of work now on his plate while we've been from home? I would say that there is a little bit more work involved because of the fact that nobody's in studio. So he has to make sure that everybody's line is working. He has to make sure that there's no issues with the audio quality. When Hugo goes down, I help him with a lot of that stuff. But it's still that's the line that that Bogish is on, yes. Right, that's Bogish's line. Um, I help him with that, and I reach out to Hugo. But Pete still has to sit there and worry about it. So like, there is stuff involved. Where if people were in studio when there wasn't a pandemic, obviously he wouldn't have to deal with it. So in terms of that, there is a little bit more going on. In terms of him running the board, I would say it's mostly the same. Outside of just worrying about you know, audio quality, the lines and whatnot, and making sure somebody's up or trying to remind you that you're up. Like today, I think you coughed on the air and DA got a little bit upset. Did he actually, by the way, did he tell you you were on? So he says he did. He might have. I got to be honest with you, though. There, it might have been one of those moments where I was. I, I have two separate headphone things going on right now. One is for volume. One is for my microphone. I might have just missed it. I, usually, I'm not up until DA tosses to me to start the hour. So that's why I just briefly let it go because usually I'm down in that spot. So if he did, I just didn't hear it. So I don't want to pin that he didn't tell me that. But clearly, yeah, DA wasn't happy. But again, <laughs> I w- I was trusting my guy Pete back there because I'm usually not up in that spot. That's all. I found it right. to be a little throat clear. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so that's the stuff that's stressing Pete out. I just find the science. Maybe the listeners don't care. Listen to PGB. The science behind a Pete the body Bilotti, Connor. <laughs> and you hear him at Trash Tuesday. He really should have his own experiment. And I have found it. Uh, almost part of the pandemic that, that we're working from home, the most entertaining part is just seeing how Pete reacts in real time to certain things. So it has been, for me, personally incredible. And I think you have, have done a great job. And just real quickly on your Trash Tuesday, Connor, you did hit on that you've had a problem with uh, basically a StatCast 628-foot home run hit by Mike Ford, which I don't think how anybody could ever have that hit. I do have to say, though, we're running into a sports take for you do you think you're being exposed a little bit on Trash Tuesday that you're running out of things to complain about after having all these accolades thrown at you early in your Trash Tuesdays? Well, I was thinking about maybe going with a joke about the weather, and I went to a like a social distancing graduation party, and I was going to bring up the fact that like I was sweating and make a joke about that and not talk about sports. But I saw the fact that Mike Ford had hit this 680-foot home run, and I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing, so I felt I had to trash that. Uh, but I could have gone with something not sports-related. But So do you guys like it better when I go non-sports-related well, trashes? Well, no, no, no. I think a sports-related trash is totally fine, and I think yours was awesome, and I think it was funny, but it did reek to me of... Oh, no. Connor, who's been, you know, everybody <laughs> kisses his tuchus here with all these great Trash Tuesdays. Now he's got there's a couple baseball games on TV and he's going to something baseball related. Is he running out of material? So that's all. That's and I trash the, uh, the very, you know, the, the juiced balls as sort of an overplay topic. But I just thought 680 feet. I mean, he almost hit a 700-foot home run. And I, I read understand. that and I was like, it's just the most ridiculous thing. And I don't think it's necessarily true that he hit a 680-foot home run. So I went with that instead. But maybe I'll have to come up with some new, some new material and other things. Just look. You never know. That, that next Dan Silverman is behind you looking to take your job, <laughs> Connor Green. And Sam Rubinoff, too, and yes. the rest of the guys. So you could follow Connor on Twitter. Connor, what's your Twitter handle? At Connor underscore Green 51. And you can follow me on Twitter at CBS. This has been the PGP. Have a great week, everyone.
TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.